our hope is in him. Our promise is in him. And he's walking us into this kingdom where he will be king over it all forever. It will be like we've never seen before. Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. It's great to be worshiping, whether you're joining us here in person or joining us live stream. Man, it's great to be here. Man, we are all about making much of Jesus Christ. May he get all the glory. And all of God's people said, Dude, that's a huge deal. It's got to be always about Jesus. Don't miss it. Don't get sidetracked. Always all about Jesus Christ. May we lift him up, right? That said, we're in a series here. We've been walking through the book of Revelation. And as we've done that kind of in three parts, first part was walking through the couple of chapters on the churches, the seven churches there. And then we jumped into Revelation 4 through 19 and talked all about what those final seven years are going to be and what that's going to look like. Is God's wrath poured out, but more than that, God having a plan in the midst of it and ultimately bringing us hope. At the end of that seven years then, stepping into Jesus Christ coming again, right? And so before we kind of jump forward into all that's going on with the eternity statements that are being made in Revelation 21 and 22, right? That's where we're at as chapters 20 through 22 in this series now called All Things New. Before we jump in today, with that, let's make sure we throw a timeline up to make sure we understand just a little bit of where we're at, make sure we grasp what's going on. So this should be in your booklets. You should see that there is a little bit of a starting point, but we've got Christ at the cross on the far left, left, right? So that's thousands of 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ coming, his first coming, right? Everybody say first coming. Right, His first coming when he came as Lamb of God, he died on the cross, he sacrificed for us and rose again that death might be conquered, that sin might be dealt with. That's Christ's first coming. Then he ascended into the heavens, that kind of gap there, that's the church age, that's where we're at now. Right? That's several thousand years of the church age. And then comes the final seven years out ahead of us. That's Revelation 4 through 19 that we just went through. And then ultimately the millennial kingdom, that thousand years. Please notice the blocks do not represent the actual duration of time by their size, right? They are the size they are because there's that many letters in the words that needed to be used, all right? So you may want to write just the number seven above the final seven years. You might want to write the number thousand above the millennium, right? So if you remember at the end of the seven years there, that's when Christ returns. Then he establishes his kingdom, the thousand year reign where he is ruling on earth in Jerusalem as king of kings. And at the end of that, then we usher in eternity. That's where we're going to jump in today, jumping into eternity, all right? And figuring out what's happening a little bit there. So praise God for that. We've got the seven years still to come right? And that's out in front of us, chapters 4 through 19. The thousand years after that, and then finally, ultimately, eternity with Jesus Christ. All right? We all set? Got the lay of the land? Here we go. So let's jump in with Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1 as we get going. Point number one. Uh, it says, we will spend eternity dwelling with God in a new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. We will spend eternity dwelling with God in a new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. 
right? So it's all about heaven is going to be about us with God, Him present with us, us being able to enjoy a massive statement of His uh, glory and His expression in our lives, all right? So here we go. We start in verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Let's just hold right there. He says, then I saw. So this is that phrase that we've heard repeated over and over again. In fact, if you just look in Revelation 20, 21, and 22, these last three chapters that we're in right now, you'll find that uh, then I saw is actually used to address seven different uh, things going on. Not a shock, right? So as God is revealing pieces out, he's revealing seven different segments out, and he uses these phrases to bring them uh, to bear. So it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth right? New heaven and new earth. Now, just so you know, the Greek is very specific in how it uses language. And so uh, the word new, like we would tend to use it, can have a variety of meanings. And so they actually have two different words for the word new. There's new like as in, you know, another one, like I got a new car. Like I had a car and now I got another car. I have a new car. Okay, that's one way to use it, but there's another way to use it, which means like it has a quality you've never seen before. It's going to be new. It is going to be so much better than anything you could ever imagine new, right? That's the new that's used here of a quality that is increasing and phenomenal, and it's going to be absolutely mind-blowing. It is going to be so much better. Everybody just say, so much better. Right? That's the point that's captured in this word that's used here, new heaven and new earth. Not just replacing the earth we have, but actually so much better in so many different ways. So new heaven and new earth is coming. Why? It says, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The first earth, that's where we're at right now, this physical earth, this first earth will have passed away. As we get to the end of the thousand years, Christ deals with it all. Now, there are two different ways to look at this word. The word passed away there literally means to have left. The uh, old earth left. And so it could mean that there's a massive change in it, that there's a, a big a kind of a, a shaping, if you will, that God is doing a, a kind of a replenishing. And so it's the old and the broken down is gone of it. There's this whole new better quality as it's being replenished and refurbished along the way. It could mean that, or it could literally mean like, just scrap it, start with brand new that is going to be mind blowing. And there are people that take positions on both sides. I will say Romans chapter 8 says that this old, this creation that we're in now is actually affected by sin and it's groaning for the time of that future glory. To be groaning and then basically we just destroy it, it doesn't exist anymore and God starts over, maybe doesn't make as much sense there. So I probably lean a little bit more towards, this is speaking about a massive renewal that's gonna be going on. It is gonna be so different, so much better in so many different ways. This is a huge, huge statement. And whether it's a kind of a, a destroying and a restarting or just a massive renewal, either way, can we just say so much better? Everybody say so much better. So much better. That's the point. All right. Unbelievable. Mind-blowing. So satisfying. It's going to be so much better. 
And then it says right after it, and the sea was no more. And the sea was no more. Now, remember the uh, metaphor of the sea or of the many waters. If you look at Revelation chapter 17, it says, and these many waters or the sea represents the many tribes, tongues, nations, and peoples. It represents all of those non-Jewish, all the Gentiles that are actually refusing to believe in God, right? And so this uh, metaphor was about all the Gentile nations and kind of walking away from Jesus. In fact, we see in Revelation 13 that the beast comes from the sea, right? And we see that to mean coming from the Gentile nations, the godless refusal to follow after Jesus Christ. And so it could very well be saying here, and the sea was no more. There's no more division. There's no more separation. There's no more rebellion against God. There's no more them and us kind of a separation anywhere in anybody's mindset. And, and so the sea is no more. Maybe it means that. Uh, right? Or it could just literally physically mean, and there's not going to be a sea anymore. It's going to be some kind of very different creation in that regard. I will say I probably lean a little more towards it being the metaphor, that it's actually saying there won't be the rebellion and the division elements on it. But, but that's me. Everybody just say, that's Tim's thought. Okay, whichever way you want to go with that, you work that out. But the reality is it says the sea will be no more. If it's a metaphor, the rebellion and all that is done. And if it's physical, then maybe not even certain types of bodies of water along the way. It says, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. So again, the word new here, this is the same word new. This is like of a whole different kind. This is going to be a massive, better, glorious Jerusalem. And uh, it says, coming down out of heaven from God. This is going to be a gift from God, shared from him, caring for us. This is going to be a massive moment of hope, this new Jerusalem. And just so you know, the old Jerusalem, which exists even now if you go over to Israel, it's actually fairly small. You may be kind of surprised when you show up at the old city. You can actually walk the whole thing all the way around in an hour or two or even less as you walk around it. And maybe some 35, 40,000 people living inside the old city Jerusalem, like it's fairly small and it's, um, you know, it's old. We'll just leave it at that, right? It is going to be stunningly different as we move forward. A city that is going to harbor, hold all believers of all time that are following with Jesus Christ in the city. It is going to be massive in size. It's actually talking about it in a little bit. We'll, later in the chapters, we'll see it. This description of the size of it, stunning. The, the look of it, unbelievable. The glory, the brightness, the colors, the purposes, the, it's going to be amazing what's coming, all right? And so the new Jerusalem is going to be different of a whole other kind and blowing us away as a home. It says, and prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Prepared like a bride, for her husband. And so this sweet privilege of seeing a bride walking in, if you've been to a wedding before, right? And there's a, kind of that little bit of energy and expectation ahead of the wedding ceremony as people are sitting down and they're talking with each other and they're waiting. And then as the music flips over, you can tell something is happening and the music change. And all of a sudden you have like the bridal party starting to come down and people are paying attention a little bit more now. And all of a sudden the bride and the father are are at the back. And in that moment, the whole place stands and everybody turns and the focus is 
all there on the bride. Man, I'm telling you, that's what we're talking about here. Massive focus, massive hope, tons of attention and excitement on. And uh, speaking as a dad who has been able to walk two daughters down the aisle, which is uh, like an unbelievable experience and the tears and the joy and the celebration and the, the laughter and the expectation and like that's just a pinch of what's coming as the new Jerusalem is being ushered in and we get to see all of that glory. John chapter 14 verses 1 and 2, Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. This is that place, this new Jerusalem. This is the place he's making for you. Your God knows you. Your God loves you. And he's making a place for you in this new Jerusalem that will be ushered in after the seven years and after the thousand years when eternity is starting to be brought in, the new Jerusalem brought down. And your place that Christ has been preparing revealed for you. This huge preparatory, breathtaking, glorious place. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. I heard a loud voice. You know, this is the 20th time that that was said in the book of Revelation. And I heard a loud voice. And most of the time, it turns out it's an angel declaring something out. Probably that's what's going on here is this thunderous, loud, angelic voice. And he starts out by saying, behold. And when we see the word behold, we say, yeah, check it out, right? This is a, a call to say, look at this, see this, behold it, right? So check this out. It says, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. God will dwell with man. There will be no, nothing between us and him. We will be able to see him and know him and be able to worship him. He will reveal himself in massive, full glory. Right now we see through a glass dimly. There is so much that is so hard to understand or grasp at times, but God's still revealing pieces of himself. Man, I'm telling you, when we get home to heaven, we will be dwelling, the word says. Dwell, it means to set up home with. It's the, really the word tabernacle with. We will tabernacle. We will live with him and spend time with him. Remember uh, when Israel was wandering uh, in the wilderness, and they ended up having the tabernacle there, and the presence of God was revealed, right? And there was fire by day and a cloud by night, and the glory of God there in that tabernacle. He's like, that was a taste, and I'm talking expressed everywhere. I will be with you, and you with me. There's going to be a massive call to relationship with our God. And you may want to write this down. Leviticus chapter 26, verses 11 to 13. Leviticus 26, verses 11 to 13. There's some statements all through the book of Leviticus about the law and relating to God. And, and at the end there in 26, 11 through 13, he says, I will dwell with you. Future tense. He's saying, it's coming. I will dwell with you. This is that fulfillment. The fulfillment in the book of Leviticus will be when we are in eternity and this massive glorious kingdom ushered in and God with us and us with him. And all of God's people said, huge deal, man. It says, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. There will be this deep personal relationship where we are his people and he is our God. 
where we are able to celebrate all that he is, where there is a massive satisfaction in him, where it will be perfect and sinless with awesome worship that will be unbelievable. No idols. There will be roles and responsibilities throughout, and we'll talk more about what heaven is going to be like as we go through the next few weeks. Man, it is stunning to see the description of the look and the feel and the experience and the relationships and a little bit of the responsibilities, and it is going to be an amazing walkthrough as we talk about this time with our God that will be so fulfilling. And all of God's people said, huge deal. It says, we will be his people, he will be our God. And then he, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will wipe away every tear. In this moment of tender care, of this moment of consoling and removing, he will remove hurt for the last time. Never again will there be hurt or tears or loss in any way in the kingdom of Christ as he rules over all, that will be gone from our experiences, removed once and for all. May God get all the glory. Done with all the pain and the heartache. All of it gone and behind us, truly all for him. It says, he will wipe away every tear and death shall be no more. No more. No more hurt and loss as a loved one has gone on ahead. No more will these bodies age and break and drop. No more. No more will there be an agony over the loss of someone so close to you. No more. Death will be handled in Jesus Christ. He has covered it at the cross. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It will be done. And all of God's people said, and this is a huge deal, we are so limited by these fragile, broken bodies, and our experience has so much pain. And God is walking us home to a kingdom where that will be removed forever because of his glorious perfection says he will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. And then it says, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. No more pain of any sort. No more emotional pain. No more spiritual pain. No more waking up and trying to figure out why your neck hurts differently today than any other weird day. I used the right pillow. What is up with that, right? All those moments we go through where we're trying to figure out where we're in ache and agony and pain and we're trying to shift and figure it out. There will be no Advil in heaven. And all of God's people said, dude, this is a huge deal. This is a massive moment. The smallest of our life moments are tied up in pain and suffering and it will be gone. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain anymore. There will be no more struggling and trying to figure it out. There will be no more moment where I wish I hadn't said the words I said. I wish I hadn't used the tone. I wish some action hadn't gone down. There will be no more sin. There will be no heartache. It will forever be joyful, 
unbelievable, satisfying perfection. May God get all the glory. It says, for the former things have passed away. And here again is that phrase, passed away, which actually probably best translated is left or is gone. So the former things are gone. All the things of pain and heartache, all the fallenness in this broken world, all the cost of sin will be removed and handled. There will be a massive restoration and it will be unbelievably satisfying. There will be a fresh breath that we get to take that will be just fantastic. That's where we're headed. And you know, thinking about trying to come up with an illustrate for heaven, that's just always going to come up short, right? It's not going to come up with a good one. So this week as I was wrestling through it, I'm like, this is the best I can do for this week. Ready? What about this weather, man? This is really nice, isn't it? And here's the amazing thing. In the midst of this gorgeous weather, we have this stunning 70s and this perfect little breeze and the humidity is down and it just, like you go out and it's just so easy to relax. It changes the kind of the feel and the emotions. Everybody's just a little happier in the midst of it. I know we as a staff, we went out on Tuesday and just hung out at a patio restaurant and just enjoyed the shade and the breeze and the food and talking together. And there's just this ease in life that happens. Dude, and that's just weather changing. Can you imagine when all sin gone, not one war within my soul, not one hurt that comes at me, not one ache in my body, not a loss that ever happens again, ever. Can you imagine how that is going to cause such a deep breath? The war we're in, I don't think we barely understand. And we are headed home to perfection. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, man, it's a time for us to just breathe deep. Here's what I'm going to ask. Right where we're at right now, let's just take a moment to take a deep breath. And as you breathe in deep and as you're releasing out, you have a job to do. Just imagine some of this pain gone. Cool breeze blowing. Total satisfaction in the presence of God. Ready? One big deep breath in. Here we go. Breathe it with me. I don't think you're breathing. There you go. Deep breath. And now release it out as you're just relaxing in Him. One more time. And out. Dude, that's not even close to the relaxation that's coming to the satisfaction that's coming, to the recognition of the oppression that we have been under, and to the joy that we are about to have. May God get all the glory. I was looking to put a couple of words together to describe heaven, and uh, so here's a few I thought of. We'll put these down, all right? Here we go. Heaven, it will be a thriving, perfect, Sinless, glorious, satisfying world with God at its center in full glory. Ready? Let me say it again. Say it slow. Write some of these down if you want. It will be a thriving, perfect, sinless, glorious, satisfying world 
with God at its center in full glory. God at the center, full glory on display. Nothing held back. Thriving, satisfying to the core. We're headed for this glory. May God truly get all the praise. And this world can get so easy to focus on and get distracted by. Simple question. So is your focus on this old earth that is going to be passing away? Or is your focus on the King of Kings and the glory he's going to usher in and the eternity we will have with him? Where is your focus? May God get all the glory. We will dwell with him forever. And it will be stunningly satisfying. And all of God's people said, amen. Point number two. As we join Jesus forever, he will declare with thunderous power, it is done. As we join Jesus forever, he will declare with thunderous power, it is done. It said, and he who was seated on the throne, everybody say, that's Jesus. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold. And when we see the word behold, we say, check it out. Now this is Jesus saying, check it out. So man, whenever Christ says, behold, you better listen and listen big. But Jesus saying, check it out. And he says, ready? I am making all things new. Massive thunderous statement from the creator God of the universe. He says, listen, listen, check this out. I am making all things like you have never seen before. Better quality than you have ever seen. I am gonna be shaping and changing all of it. It is gonna blow your mind. I am making all things new of a better and different quality like you would not believe. Remember, this is Jesus, the one who spoke and the first earth existed. The one who creates by his power and authority. And in the midst of sin, tearing some of it down, he is now gonna be stepping in and he is gonna be restoring and making better in a whole new way. He's like, behold, I am making all things better than you could have ever imagined. Check this out. Jesus says, I am making all things new even better, and no sin forever. He said, and write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I love that Jesus felt he had to say that, right? Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Like what words did Jesus ever say that weren't trustworthy and true, right? Write this down. This is absolutely essential that you know this. Write this down, ready? This is what he says. It is done. That's the thunderous statement. As the millennial kingdom comes to a close, as he's beginning to open up eternity, he says, I am gonna stun you with what I'm gonna create. And hear me, it is done. It is all complete. Now remember, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. That's a different word. That's a word there that's saying, I am completing this portion of it. I am making it perfect or complete in its sense. I am doing the work at the cross, but there was more to come. That piece is finished. Now he is saying, it is done overall. 
the work at the cross, and now my new creating work, and I've ushered in all of those trusting in me, and there is going to be a stunning relationship forever in the heavens for all eternity. It is done. And all of God's people said, dude, this is a huge hope and a huge promise. Trust me, man, God has a plan. And all of God's people said, God has a plan and he's walking us home to glory one step at a time. He says it is done. Then he says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. The alpha and the omega. So alpha, right? That's like the first letter in the Greek alphabet. That's like saying, I am the A and the omega is the last letter. I am the A and I am the Z. That's what he's saying. I'm the A and I'm the Z. I'm the beginning and the end. I am the start of all of it, even back to the first creation, and I will be the close down and the ushering in of this new thing that will last forever. I am the Alpha and the Omega. He says, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the thirsty, to those who are longing for Jesus Christ and life in him, to those who are saved, everybody say saved, Right? To the thirsty, to the ones who are saved, to the ones who are trusting in Jesus, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. I will give from the spring of the water of life. Hear me, Jesus himself is the living water. He's like, I'm going to pour relationship on with me. I am going to rock your world as I dwell with you and you with me. The glory poured out from God Almighty. And we're going to be able to taste and drink of this living water. And he ends up saying that it's without payment. Why is it without payment? Because Jesus already paid it on the cross. It is done. It is over. My king has it in hand. My job is to be on my knees. God has covered it all. May I worship and praise the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And all of God's people said, he says, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. To the one who conquers, this is to the one who stays with me, to the one who's trusting in me, to the one who is saved, right? Everybody say saved, right? We're told in Romans chapter eight, we are more than conquerors. We have hope in Jesus, the Holy Spirit changing our lives from the inside out, one bit at a time, growing us along a path. We're not perfect yet, but we're on a journey. And man, we are going to be able to experience conquering sin and death in this world. It's not because of how great we are. It's because of how great Jesus Christ is. We are more than conquerors. And the hope we have in him, he says, this is our heritage, that he will be our God and we will be his children. It says, you will be my son. Now he could have used the word there for a little kid, but he used the word for an adult child. Son and daughter, those who would have an inheritance. He's like, just so we're super clear, you will be with me, you will be adopted into this home and you will have an inheritance that will stun you and blow you away. And we have privilege through Jesus Christ. It says, but as for the cowardly, for the one who refuses to bow the knee to Jesus, for the one who refuses to uh, bring love into this world and care in the way God would, for the one who refuses to face sin and turn it down, to the cowardly, and then he gives another definition, to the faithless, 
right? This is the one who won't trust in Jesus, whose name is not in the book of life. Everybody say unsaved, right? And so the cowardly, the unsaved, the faithless, the one who is self-centered and living for self and immediate. He says, there's other descriptions here, detestable. Like this is where their own works are measured and they come up woefully short. And let's be honest, if our works got measured, we would come up woefully short. The reason they're viewed as detestable is because they aren't standing on their name in the book of life and them on their knees. The reason they're detestable is because they aren't standing on, Lord Jesus, I believe you are risen. And I confess you as Lord and that's all I've got. I give you my faith and my trust. I fall on my face. That alone is our hope. And with our name in the book of life, we are given the works of Jesus counted to us. But for those who refuse that, then the other books are opened as we looked at last week. And now they have to stand on their own works and it's found detestable, coming up short, nothing close to God's perfection and glory. And then he goes and lists some of those sins. He says, for murderers, sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, like those who take life, those who don't understand the value of sexuality and mistreat and misuse, those who get hooked into dark spiritual um, incantations and the rest, those who make anything more valuable than God, idolaters, liars, those who say anything that's untrue to be able to benefit themselves. Man, it's not that you've ever said it once or done something like that. This is speaking to those who stand on their own works and won't stand with Jesus Christ. This is speaking to the unsaved. Everybody say the unsaved. Really important. We get that. Super important. Because the next thing it says is, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. As we looked at last week, at the end of the thousand years, all of those who are unsaved who don't believe of all time, will end up standing before Jesus at the throne and having to give account. The book of life will be opened, and if their name isn't in it, which it won't be because they're unsaved, then that book is set aside and they now have to have the books that record their works opened and they have to give account. And it says at the end of that, all of the unbelievers, every one of them will, found, will be found coming up short and then sent to the lake of fire forever. That's hell. He's restating that same statement here. This is a sobering, massive statement. Man, may we grasp this. We have hope in Jesus Christ. He is the king over all. And all I need to do is bow and worship. Lord, you're in charge. I believe you are risen. I confess you as Lord. That's saved. And the privilege we have is we're adopted into his home. He becomes our God. He expresses his glory. There is such deep joy and satisfaction. All sin, all death, all impact of sin removed forever. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, dude, this is our hope and our calling. May we lean on him. He says the lake of fire, which is the second death. The first death is our physical body dying. The second death is the lake of fire. That's where the souls go who refuse to follow Jesus. And here's the deal, man. In Revelation 20, it says very clearly, for those whose name is written in the book of life, for those who are saved, you will not taste of the second death. There is no hell for those who are saved and trusting in Jesus. Our hope is in him. Our promise is in him. 
and he's walking us into this kingdom where he will be king over it all forever. It will be like we've never seen before, stunning, glorious, satisfying, unbelievably perfect. May God get all the glory. May we celebrate the king who is making all things new. We as believers have the privilege of celebrating that God who makes all things new. Everybody say all things new. Ready? All things new, louder, bigger. All things new, louder and bigger. All things new. That's our hope as we are headed home to glory with a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. It will be like nothing we have ever seen before with the deepest of satisfaction and the most unbelievable joy. May God get all the glory. Now that's some hope. And all of God's people said, let's pray. 